0: today is July 9th 2018 you're listening to human factors cast episode 97 today is all about upcoming technologies that we're gonna talk about from a human factors perspective and uh, you know what here's here's the news you can use your face now as a passport and that's uh, that's today and so much more here on human factors cast to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things Human Factors, Psychology, and Design. We're doing this now, 97 episodes and we still don't know what the hell we're doing.
1: (laughs) You can use your face as a passport. No, man,
0: we're all right. (laughs) We're okay. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Human Factors Cast. I'm your host Nick Rome, joined in studio by Mr. Blake Arnsdorf. How's it going, guys? Hey, there he is. Hey, look, no lag, no internet lag. We're good. We're doing good. I uh, know. We all both sound good. Yeah, isn't I, that amazing? I know. Isn't that crazy? I, I, so I, I listened to the, um, to the last week's episode, and uh, it sounded good. It sounded good when we're both in studio and we're doing stuff.
1: Yeah, I don't sound like garbage, which is nice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and Brian sounded good, too. Thanks again for Brian for being on the show last week. That was a ton of fun. Um, but this week, uh, we got some stuff to talk about. We got we got not a whole lot of news stories, a little slower of a news week, because it was, uh, at least here in the States, it was the 4th of July, um, you know, and a uh, holiday in the middle of the week. And so, there, I don't know.
1: Everybody's taking off. Nobody's writing news stories.
0: Yeah, it was a weird week for news. But, hey, it's okay. We got a couple things to talk about. We're going to talk about it here. Uh, so, Blake. I see here what is fan buying? What is this? Oh my god. Man, I don't know. For
1: anybody that doesn't live in California or San Diego right now, but Nick, it is hot. This is like real hot
0: here. Oh, okay, that fan buying I thought. That kind of fan buying, yeah. Okay, so so I saw this in the notes and I thought, okay, is this like are you buying fans like Twitter followers or or what? Yeah, I bought all the Twitter (laughs) followers. (laughs)
1: We should see a large spike in viewership. No, I'm talking about buying a fan, man, because there are so many designs and so many different shapes, sizes, all sorts of stuff. Me and my girlfriend were in Bed Bath & Beyond the other day trying to figure out what in the world we actually needed to try and cool down the house because we don't have air conditioning in the house and it's like... 100 degrees in San Diego right now. Oh, yeah.
0: I, I will say, um, actually figuring out the optimal position for fans in the house to get the airflow going is one of my favorite things. So if you guys need <sighs> someone to come over, let me know.
1: I should have just called you because in my <laughs> head, I was like, I bet you Nick knows this, the optimal way to do this.
0: I really do. I, like I, uh, So we have like a fan blowing in from the bedroom and then it goes through the door and then kind of snakes around and a fan blowing out through the living room. So that way the airflow kind of circulates throughout the house. And I do this in multiple ways, right? So we have like three fans in our living room where it blows out and one big fan in the bedroom through the sliding glass door where it blows in. So the intake is really large and the outtake are three small ports um, and that kind of disperses it throughout the house. I'm very into this. Can you tell? <laughs> oh, apparently, yeah. I just need to come to
1: have you come to my house and figure this out for us. But yeah, I mean, that's what <laughs> that's what I spent my weekend trying to figure out. I was like, okay, what's the best way to do this for the least amount of money?
0: Right. So were you like thinking about the Like, what's the sort of were you thinking about the ergonomics of of uh, the airflow and and. Uh set up and all that stuff a little bit i was more worried about the spacing right because
1: some of these fans that they sell are like giant towers i was like okay where are we going to really put this because we don't have a whole lot of room in like the living room area where we were both sleeping for the weekend uh so it was like where can we stick this in front of the door that's actually going to make this work so it's right. actually bringing in air and then blowing air out where it needs to be right. but and we made it work i mean we just ended up having like two oscillating fans that were kind of helping us out
0: okay I will say, the most bang for your buck is if you get the ones that you put up in the windows or the doors.
1: Yeah. Yeah, see, like, that's that's what we should have done, but literally, all they had was towers where we were.
0: Mm. So I was like, yeah, bummer. I know. Well, I, I don't want to buzzmark it. Never mind. I'll tell you after the show. Oh, goodness. All right, man. Well, what have you been up to? So this... Okay, so Libib. Uh, I don't know if that's the way you say it or if that's really how you know you pronounce it or whatever. Libib is uh, this app that... It's like a it's it kind of takes inventory of your library and it's super cool so like you can you can sort of establish different libraries like your blu-ray, your CDs, your DVDs, even your games right and you can organize all of these things by uh, however you like now um, like for example I've made one called my PlayStation 4 or whatever and if I go in you can add things to it, and what's really nice about it is that you can just scan barcodes on the back of things. So literally, and it's super fast recognition, too. Um, I don't know if it'll work here, but I'll show you. See, so it oh, actually... Oh, yeah, sh- you didn't have to do anything. You just no, put it in front of the scanner. It's right there. And uh, what's what's great is it just goes. You just go, scan another, go, scan another, go, scan another, and it just adds it all. And it brings in the UPC and all the information associated with it, right? Right. And then you can go into, like, it has reviews on it. It also has a bunch of options so you can go and tag it with different things or group it into different um, sort of uh, collections, right? Like, so with this PlayStation 4 one that I'm talking about, I have several different groups. I have, um, I have games that are part of my digital collection that I've got for free for being a PlayStation Plus subscriber. Sure, I have, yeah. I have games that I've bought physical copies of. I have games that... Um, You know, I have both. I bought a physical copy and then I got a free copy, a digital copy later. So I have both, right? And so that's something that I want to know. What's nice about this also is that you have some sort of global search, right? So, like, let's say I go in and search all of my Star Wars. You can see, look, here's all my Star Wars stuff across my books, across my video games, across my movies. That's pretty cool, yeah. And uh, what's also neat, too, is if you go into it as well, you can set some sort of status, like, with books. You can say, like, oh, you know what? I'm reading this. I'm currently in progress. I've abandoned this. I've completed it. I love that abandon is uh, an option you can select. Yeah, and so you can kind of – and when you do – sort of look at it when um, when you select a progress you can kind of see this little like uh, I don't know status indicator off to the side there right so like blue is completed red is abandoned green is in progress or, or something like that and so when you look at like an entire list you can kind of at a glance see how your are uh, oh kind of like see where you are yeah
1: okay yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so I, I don't know it's super cool I, I don't want to like buzzmark it too much but this thing has been really fun to like play around with and sort of document my did my library with and uh I don't know about you but I have a lot of media that I like to kind of keep track of and especially when I'm like ah, I'm out and shopping for something or you know I see something on the counter and I'm like oh shoot do I have that in blu-ray yet or do I have that um you know in a steelbook format or whatever you know like the steel or do you have are, it at all right right do yeah. I have it at all uh so I can look through and be like oh yeah that's part of my digital collection I don't need to buy that right now even though it's a great sale I have it already um, or like, yeah, I have these DVDs and I'm looking to upgrade these. Right. So I just search, you know, cause when you have collections as big as ours at home, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, <laughs> have I done this one yet? You know, as you sort of move your library from DVD to Blu-ray or, or whatever it is. Right. Uh, so I don't know. I just thought it was definitely noteworthy, something that, um, you know, if you do have a big library of media, whether it's video games or uh, books or movies, DVDs, whatever it is, I think it's a great way to kind of catalog. Yeah. The thing that sounds awesome to me is, of course, I'm going to go with the traditional media books, but I've
1: got so many books that I'm reading at once that it would be nice to know, like just flipping open that app when I'm like at a bookstore about to buy another book and then see just how many I've got in progress yeah. at, the, at that point.
0: I think you can search by in progress too. Um, I'm not sure. I'm checking right now. Uh, no, you, you can search by tag though. So you can actually tag them. You can group them. You can tag them. So let's say I like tagged them all with the in progress. You could theoretically do that. My only gripe is that it's a it's a little clunky in the app to like bulk edit things. So like let's say sure. I have like 20 games that I want to say, oh, the all these are digital. Mm-hmm. It'd be difficult for me in the app to, to tag them. But it's a lot of setup. But once it's there, then adding one and, and doing like a you know like a like the editing tags or whatever on it once it's in there is fine um i don't know it's 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 super cool i i like it you can also say like you can make notes on it right like i lent this to blake and he still hasn't given it back to me <laughs> i was like
1: and he lost it hey uh.
0: look like i know i have this copy where is it and then i look it up and i see oh i lent it to blake on this date you know so it's pretty cool in that regard too um, and we can be friends and I can see whenever Blake adds a new game on his list. To oh, X. so there's
1: like a social aspect to it as well. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, I haven't played around with it, but you can check, you know, your followers and see what they've added to their library or that's
1: pretty cool. I'd like to know what I, what's in my friend's libraries of stuff, whether right. it's like books or games or whatever. It is. Yeah. So
0: if you were like, Hey Nick, can I borrow this copy of whatever? I'm like, yeah, sure. I'm not playing it here. Um, so, yeah, that might be kind of cool, too. I can add you on the show later. There we go. <laughs> After the show. On the, not on the show. That'd take too much time. <laughs> take
1: forever. Well, that's awesome, man.
0: Yeah, I thought, I thought you'd enjoy that. And uh, perhaps our listeners do as well. If you find that useful, let us know. Um, okay, so we got a couple things coming up here. We always plug these on the show because we feel like it's important to let people know. Uh, we have AHFE. That's in Orlando, Florida. That's later this month, 21 through 25. Uh, we have some coverage coming from that. Um, HFES, that's the big one that's in Philadelphia. Uh, and that is, uh, October 1st through the 5th. And there's a couple things we want to plug for this. So obviously there's going to be some plenary speakers, um, and the panels associated with those. And and we do want to encourage all of you, if you are going to HFES, go to those. Those are really interesting to kind of get some sort of information about a topic you may or may not be familiar with and and um oftentimes the people who are presenting these are 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 experts but not in human factors and they usually kind of uh what they take the human factors perspective from what they've been doing and uh (laughs) they um they take that and and try to explain it to us and it's it's interesting to kind of get that survey i see you're bringing up here the the plenary speakers. Yeah I was we trying have... to
1: see if they like had the plenary speakers laid out looks like looks like it's just like just the overall schedule for the few days.
0: Well we'll keep you posted. We'll be sure to let you know what the topics are coming up. Also there is this uh, new silent auction of creative work um, done by HFES, HFES members. So HFES is looking for people to donate items like arts, crafts, writings, paintings etchings, photography, books, etc. So All this with the earnings uh, from this auction being used next year for scholarships for individuals who have never attended HFES conference previously. So it's going to a good cause. If you have anything to donate, uh, reach out to us. We'll get you in contact with the people you need to talk to. Uh, And, of course, we got HFES uh, Australia 2018. That's coming to Perth, and that's in November. We should have some coverage from all these events. I'm looking forward to those. How about you, Blake?
1: I'm really excited to hear what comes from AHFE because uh, that'll be. I've never been to that one, and I know a bunch of my friends have gone before. So it yeah. would be cool to have some coverage on the show for it.
0: Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, largely, uh, yeah, I'm the same way as you, Blake. I've never been to that one, but have uh, colleagues that have gone. And it uh, seems like a good time. So we'll have to see what's going on with that. But. You know what time of the show it is. Oh, you know what time of the show it is. That is time for Human Factors News. This is where we talk about everything related to the field of human factors. If you're listening to Human Factors cast, I mean, it's, duh, it's Human Factors. All right. This could be anything from medical, transportation, psychology. I always say the same things. VR, AR, or... What is it, biometrics today? There we go, biometrics. (laughs) All right, Blake, what do we got up first this week? All right, so
1: as we're all aware, there's an increasing need for airlines and airports to offer faster and more convenient airport experiences for passengers. And the Australian Airline Contas is doing just that with facial recognition. So starting last week, a number of Contas passengers have started to use facial recognition technology at the Sydney Airport when it's fully tested, the system will enable passengers to complete most parts of their trip using their face as their access identification. And the hope that is that in the future, there will be no more need to be juggling passports and bags at check-in and digging through your pockets or using your smartphone to show a boarding pass. You'll simply use your face, and that'll be your passport and your boarding pass at every step during the process. So... Nick, I don't know about you, but I've definitely traveled a lot of times and I find it to be a hassle to be worrying about. Do I have my passport? Do I have my ID in some cases? And is my phone charged enough to make it through the series of flights that I'm going to have? So I could see where having your face being able to be, your passport, your boarding pass, everything you need to be able to check in, get on your plane, and get where you need to go being a great idea. But I'm sure there are definitely some drawbacks.
0: Yeah, there potentially. So... I mean, you know, one of our listeners, actually Brian, who was on the show last week, actually brought up this great point, right, in our Slack, which you guys can join too. Link is in the show notes and wherever you can find us. Uh, Brian says, I'm always concerned about the reliability of these things. What if I grow or shave my beard? Um, maybe if they have the tech to look under the fluff to see the skin itself, it would work very well uh, with image only, um, you know, and and our uh, another one of our listeners, Mateo, actually, who, who recommended this story, jumps in and says... Well, they're they they they're basically getting more powerful and smarter, and, uh, you know, I can kind of see through things like facial hair, but there's there's other things that potentially um, could give this a hiccup, right? Like uh, I saw this article the other day. I don't remember. It's like Three Identical Strangers. Is that?
1: That does not ring a bell. What okay. was that about? I
0: don't know. I don't know. I'd have to look it up. <laughs> I was hoping you would know. And anyway, but, I mean, like what if you have two people that look very much alike, um, and, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, what is the threshold for this thing and uh, how does that all work?
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of it is to like, what markers are you really using that are giving you that, that thresholding? Like what's tipping it over from it being me versus Brian. Cause I mean, we have we're, we don't necessarily have si- the same features, but we have some similar ones, right? Like we both right. wear glasses. Um, we're both like some somewhat at a similar height. Um, let's see. We have beards. His beard is much more massive and cooler than mine. But still there's some similar features and what is it really that facial recognition is using as it's like is it's true gold standard is it something about the eyes is it something about the entire facial zone that it's looking at I don't really know but I feel like those markers are what's going to depend like if stuff changes like in terms of let's talk about a haircut or if you're wearing glasses or if you shaved your face. That should. That's probably going to make it depend on how good it is. Much less if something like drastic happens to your face.
0: Yeah, and I'm. Yeah, you bring up eyes, and so does uh, Matteo in this article he cites here, uh, where basically eyes are less um, subject to change as as you grow, and so using those could be potentially a good way to do this. Now I'm wondering. Um, I didn't see. Does the article specify whether or not? Uh, like what kind of system, like what, what the process is for this? Are you gonna have to like stop and have your picture evaluated by a camera or is it a more passive system that, uh, you know, a camera is just looking and if it detects an, an an anomaly, um, will it then alert TSA or something?
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure, but I would imagine that right now it's having to be a little more stringent, right? Like it's looking at each person as they're going through kind of the same, right. similar cue thing that we go through now, because I, I honestly don't know, because it sounds like this is very much in like a beta testing phase. We're about to go through a different sets of phases of how they're going to roll this thing out. Right. Um, So I would assume they'd have to scan everybody, but I think that would be like the golden idea, right? Is after enough faces have been seen that maybe sometime in the future, you're just walking through and it's only looking for anomalies.
0: Yeah, and so, I mean, what's interesting to me is that they are sort of tackling these key steps of a passenger's journey, right? So they are thinking about this in terms of how a passenger uh, goes through this process to board a plane. And um, so the four... Steps are uh, check-in, bag drop, lounge access, and boarding. And at each of these places, like, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how will the system work ultimately? Is it going to be something where the passenger shows up, they get their picture taken, and, and some sort of, like, validation happens with the camera, right? And is that going to be replicated across all four of these processes? Is, is there going to be one at the terminal when you walk in, is there going to be one at at TSA? Is there going to be one at uh, the bag drop? Um, Is there going to be one for the lounge? Like, I just don't know what this looks like and why it's, I mean, I get why it's different. There's, it's probably more secure than a passport. It's probably more secure than some sort of ID, right? But at the same time, I don't think it necessarily reduces the, hassle for the passenger um, I mean sure they don't have to take out their passport they don't have to fumble with any form of identification that's one aspect of it but I don't know I'm I'm like lukewarm on this I'm I'm hoping I, I have very I'm cautiously optimistic I guess <laughs> I, I want to see this work I want to see this work well and I want to see this work in a passive way where passengers can just walk around freely and I know that introduces a lot of security concerns, but we are human factors practitioners, and we are all about making things easiest for the user and who's the user in this situation Well it's the passenger and how can we make the most easily accessible um, non hassle way to to deal with this kind of process
1: well, I think you're bringing up a lot of good points and I th- I think something like this and it, you're you're definitely right like our goal as human factors practitioners is typically make it make life easier for your user but I think this whole thing of facial recognition like what we're talking about here is actually introducing a larger system cuz now we're going to have to figure out like okay great if we if we go with kind of what you were talking about earlier like if you're if you get your take, your picture taken either when you first come in during the first step of the process I think that was like check in and it can use that across all the different stages that you go through that'd be awesome it'd be super easy for people to go through but at the same time we got to figure out a way that we're making you know a tsa operator's life easy as well so now that we've got these pictures that are being taken how do we properly flag something if it's weird and how does that how does that how can we make their job easier as well because i mean that's ultimately gonna be part of like making airline secure or airlines and passenger safety like a Still being able to get them quickly through the process, but fi- finding a way to still keep it secure. Um, and I, I think your your idea of initially having somebody get their picture taken and then proliferating it through these steps is the best right. way to go until we get to a point where we can just trust the, the AI or the cameras that are like taking basically, I guess, constant photos of everybody and making assessments.
0: Right. And that's when we get the automated robots to go out and apprehend people who, you know, don't are, are not part of the system. I now so I bring all this up because uh, what's her name? Vanessa Hudson, and this is quantus. How, how do we decide to say it? Quantus, Qantas, Q A N T A S for those of you following along at home. Qantas is chief, chief customer officer. Um, so obviously, or hopefully, an advocate for the people. I bring all this process stuff up because I, I don't see the trade off right now for time. And one of the main points that Vanessa Hudson makes is they there's an increasing need for airlines and airports, airports to offer faster and more convenient airport ex- experiences. So they're looking for faster and more convenient things. Um, now, again, like you said, Blake, this is a trial procedure. So hopefully this will inform how to make things faster in the future. Um, but, I mean, that's what they're looking at. And right now I just don't see... Until we have more details about this type of thing, how is it going to – how is it going to work?
1: Yeah, and I I think there's a little bit of a problematic aspect of it that they're breaking it into four parts because I'm hoping they're not looking at them as separate pieces, like trying to optimize one over the other because if if they don't think about it as like four steps of a one process, you're going to end up with something that might be optimizing one or two but still be taking the same amount of time to like drop your bag or something like that. Well, I think
0: there's hope in the fact that they call them steps – Instead of, you know, four processes, I think steps indicates that, you know, that they're aware that these are the pain points or these are the points in which they are experiencing the most issues with customer convenience and and, uh, timeliness. So by by targeting these four areas, they can hopefully reduce the pain points there
1: yeah and we'll see i mean i I wanted to hear what this is like after they get all the way through like their fourth phase right so they've gotten through you know checking people in dropping the bag off then what's it look like all together because i think it has a lot of potential technology
0: wise Yeah. yeah and i'm also kind of curious about the other side of things too you know how how does it look when they disembark how does it look when they pick up their bag how does it look you know when uh I mean, there's less security, obviously, once you get off the plane, but there still are some potential areas in which you could improve using face, facial recognition. I don't know.
1: Yeah, you don't really want just their information just sitting in a queue, like the bag hasn't been picked up or they didn't right. get on the plane. You don't just want it kind of like sitting there with no status on it, so that's another good point too. Yeah. And I guess I, I still do agree with like some of our listeners' points. I mean, there there is, I don't know, it's, it's testing out the waters of something kind of Not brand new, but something new in a new setting that has a lot of potentially adverse implications because there's a lot of safety that goes into air travel and we don't want to lose those standards by any means. But I still think this is a great kind of step forward in terms of trying to make people's lives easier and going about it in a way that's kind of like a good test case.
0: Yeah, so you mentioned new technologies.
1: Ooh, new tech. Yeah, I did.
0: I think that's a good segue into our next topic. That's a wonderful segue, <laughs> Nick. All right, guys. So hey, te- you did it. <laughs> All right,
1: so technology moves at a mile a minute, but it doesn't mean that you can't jump on board and benefit from it. So the Next Web asked members of the Young Entrepreneurs Council, which of the current technologies will likely be slated for widespread innovative use within the near future. So, below are some of the 12 technologies the council named, Nick and myself are going to break them down and how they're related to human factors. So, Nick, up first. Oh, boy. Is one that we've talked about a couple times on the show, It is blockchain.
0: All right. Hang on. I want to I wanna survey these before we deep dive into them. Oh, uh, do you? Yeah. I want to let our listeners know what, what they can expect over the next couple of minutes. So, we have blockchain, voice search, personalized medicine, 3D printing, new digital banking, 5G network, IOT, Internet of Things, everything, tokenization, artificial personal assistance, quantum computing, last mile transportation, and social media streaming. So there's a lot to unpack here. I'm thinking maybe we tackle half of these uh, in depth and maybe kind of survey the other ones, um, only because I don't think we'll have time to go deep dive into all of them. But um, blockchain. Start at the top. I see how it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, all
1: right. This one is, this is kind of an interesting tidbit here. And I, I want to read parts of the blur because it's, uh, there's a reason they're focusing on it. And it's not necessarily all around the currency idea. So they, they harp on the fact that the internet was definitely designed at its core to be a decentralized system, but giants, but internet giants and many governments have warped that original intent and blockchain definitely has the potential to bring that back to the promise of the internet and usher in a new era of distributed applications with security and resiliency at its core. So just like a high level blockchain is a decentralized system that allows you to really make transactions, whether that's with currency or with data that's always logged in in for, for now secure.
0: Right. I was going to ask like, blockchain like I understand it's used for cryptocurrencies it's used for um, like we talked about that ship uh, yeah routing thing so I I guess I I'm still largely confused by what blockchain is and what it can do and how we can apply it to the things that we already do Um, and so I was gonna ask you for an overview but you already kind of give it so I'm wondering like what kind of impact could this happen have for human factors technologies or human factors things
1: Yeah, man, it is really hard because I am no expert and I would love to talk to somebody more about blockchain, but we, we, so I'm probably going to hit on a few of the points that I did when we talked about it in the shipping context. But a lot of what, from a human factors perspective is when we were talking about like the shipping context, there was potential for a lot of different languages, language barriers to be breached and classified information to be kind of handed off about what's going on with these shipping containers, their routes the, uh, the like documents that have to be signed between them. And so this was a way to kind of make everything kind of in a decentralized system that all as the ship moves and as like different documents are filled out electronically, you would have a signature of, okay, this is where at this point during the ship's journey, it picked up this, this package or whatever. And you would just have that outline throughout the ship's journey and so the the idea there was is that it would help with the, pr- the current process that we experience. So we we talked a little bit about on the show how there's there's sometimes mismatches about what's on a ship and what actually arrives and then you will have pieces missing and you don't know why because potentially it's gone to different countries, there's a different there's like a a misunderstanding, language barrier, that kind of stuff. So it has a a potential to kind of help, you know, facilitate movement of goods across different countries and also bridge the gap of le- the language barrier. Um, but it's it's harder to understand, like, from a technology perspective, really what it's going to do and how it's going to change people's jobs or what impacts from a human, human factors perspective it'll have.
0: Well, I think it could potentially reduce security concerns, right? Because if, if you're thinking about sort of we, – we've talked about cybersecurity before in the past, and a lot of it has to do with social engineering. But um, there's also the security aspect of it, too, and I'm wondering if, you know, these secure transactions – could potentially offer a way to improve security for people who are using services.
1: Yeah. Cause you really can't, and maybe this has some, some sort of role to play in the world of how our data and information is shared when we sur- sign these kind of like terms of services agreements. Right. Because now you can't, you can't really fake what you're doing with anything that you're given. So you're going to have anytime like some data is moved or anything like that, if there's blockchain right. sitting behind it, you would have some kind of signature, signature that says like, this is how it was used.
0: All right. Voice search.
1: Oh, this is probably one of my favorites because I, I just think voice is the future.
0: Alexa, turn off the lights. Yeah, she didn't turn off the lights because you didn't bring her with you. Did not. <laughs> Actually, this is voice search. This isn't voice uh, interfaces. This is voice search.
1: Yeah, so I don't know, Nick. Do you use voice search a whole lot? All the time. Okay, so do I. And I, I especially when I'm driving, I find it to be super important because I'm right. constantly either trying to look for directions or if take me I, to the nearest
0: gas station or like yeah, plenty kind of, things of things like that. Yeah. Or,
1: or do some action that I can't do with my
0: hands. Or how about this? Like I've I've frequently wanted um, an AI assistant, uh, a voice assistant in my vehicle for this very reason. Like I'm. I'm listening to a podcast or I'm watching something not while I'm driving. He's watching things I'm not, while he's driving. I'm not watching things while I'm driving. Sorry. Sorry. Let me, let me recant that. I'm listening to things while I'm driving or I'm listening to audiobooks or podcasts. Um, not watching I, YouTube. I, I, I watch, I watch YouTube at home. Uh, and so what happens is I often hear a, a phrase that I'm unfamiliar with and I go, uh, well, what is this? Right. I do that. I do that behavior at home when I'm watching TV or when I'm, um, listening to stuff at home. So I'll, I'll say, Alexa, what is this thing? Or, or you know, search it on my phone. Uh, but when I'm driving, I don't have that luxury because my phone is the conduit by which I stream my uh, podcasts. And so I want, like, a, a separate assistant in the car to talk to me at the same time as the podcast. So that way I can go, hey, what is this thing? And then that informs me. Okay. So that, uh, that's interesting that you
1: want a separate assistant because I just want a more... <sighs> A more continuous, a better continuity in how the the virtual or the voice search or voice assistant works right now, because there's a lot of times I do the same thing. I like I'll listen to a podcast. Somebody will mention like a book, or uh, or even somebody will call me and it'll interrupt it and doesn't come right back to it. But in the terms of like, let somebody say somebody mentions a book, I search it. And I have like Amazon added to my list or whatever, right? But there's no real quick way for it to jump right back in. Now I know we're not talking about this. Is more like focused on search,
0: getting in I, the weeds here, but it's okay.
1: Yeah, but I like I like the idea of being able to do all of that through one medium, through through whether it's through my phone or, mm. or just through my fu- through my car. I, it doesn't really matter to me. I just want a continuous experience where I can jump back and forth between
0: those things. So it's interesting that you say that because I want something that's integrated but separate. I want integrated but separate. oh my god this sounds like the america's 1960s yep. so <laughs> no i i do want a separate assistant i want to i see this assistant more of a like a, truly an assistant role where my phone is doing the primary technology and the assistant is almost like um we've talked about uh you know robots being social actors or, or digital assistants being r- Social actors, where I literally want to treat them like a person, so this is completely opposite of America's 1960s. That's very true. <laughs> so I want I want robot rights, yeah, robot uprising no I want um I basically want to see them as a separate entity from what I'm doing, but still integrate with, right? So like if I say, "Hey, what's this?" I want that to later come up and say, "Hey, you searched for this earlier um, or or you know have that sort of context aware piece, so they're linked but it's a separate entity and it doesn't interrupt my current workflow of listening to a podcast. Interesting. Or, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, see
1: I get I think I get stuck in the mode of wanting to know like in the moment or else I want to understand something later. Now that's, this is specific to a podcast cuz I can think of a specific instance that this has happened, but in terms of like straight up voice search though, I think that it definitely has a lot of implications for people driving or at work too. Yeah. Because, I mean, if I could search, I, I don't know, I'm forever watching tutorials at work, like whether it's like how to use some JavaScript framework or figuring out how to open Illustrator uh, for the first time ever. But I'm, I'm always also having to, like, reply to emails, keep in line with Teams. So having some kind
0: of running voice search that would help
1: me with that kind of stuff would be great.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm going to expand this point. Um, well, I guess nine is artificial personal assistance, so maybe maybe we can talk a little bit more about it then. Actually, let's talk about it now, because I'm here. Um, <laughs> you bring up a good point, though. Like, I want... So, right now, you and I share an office. In a few weeks here, I will not share an office with you. I will be in my own office. Thank goodness. Uh, yeah, Blake is counting down the days. Because <laughs> I am a distraction for him. So, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> but not the other way around. I love Blake. He's, he's my favorite... Podcast co host and favorite office mate, but he just doesn't want to. It's uh, it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) It is true. It is true. Uh, But when I get my own office, something that I am uh, completely alone in, I will want a personal assistant to set up reminders and to integrate with the calendar and just, you know, like it would be weird if I did that in an office with you be like, hey, Alexa, set up a calendar invite for next week at this time. I feel like that's too much to of a burden to impose on other people in the office. But if I'm in my own office, then it's like it's all me.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree with you because I want to do that because when I'm at home or when I'm by myself – and poor Elise has gotten used to this, but like I talk to Siri, like setting reminders, setting alarms yep. all yep. the time. Me too, constantly. And the only, and I don't do it in the office because of the same reason of like one, it's kind of it'd be kind of annoying to be t- hearing somebody else talking to themselves all the time, even though we right. do that anyway. Yep. But two, if I had some kind of assistant that was just voice activated, you and our other office mate would be setting reminders that don't need to be there.
0: <laughs> yep. That and well, and I mean, think about this. Like, let's say we both had. Uh, you know, we shouldn't probably mention the names cause if someone's listening to them, let's say we both had one with the same name. Um, call it Jimmy John, Jimmy John. No, that's buzz marketing. Let's call it Alexander. <laughs> that's real different from Alexa, isn't it? Ah, you just did it. <laughs> All right. So let's say we both had an Alexander in the office. Um, and I gave mine, you know, a voice command, but yours picked it up as well. And Ooh, made the yeah. same. so, yeah, I don't know. So, uh, thinking about the future of artificial personal assistance, some, some ways that we could sort of improve this from a human factors perspective is well, voice printing, right? So having it recognize who the owner is, um, and only allowing them to set up these sort of, uh, commands, right?
1: Yeah. That's definitely like a key point too, especially for, cause there's not always going to be the case where everybody will have their own separate office, but I feel like this use of virtual assistance is going to continue to proliferate. Oh
0: yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, you know what? It could be, it could be bearable when you're in an environment in which, and I don't know, maybe the way that we think about office spaces going forward will have to change once everybody has a personal assistant that is capable of doing a lot of these different commands that help us in our everyday work lives. Yeah.
1: I feel like one way that we could go around it too is giving them different modes of response to us, like not always having to talk directly back to you, either like using some kind of visual indication from the device itself or integrating within your system, like giving you a message saying, okay,
0: great. Yeah, well, I mean, like uh, Alexander does this where you say a command, um, turn on the lights, Mm -hmm. and it gives you a chime. It doesn't say, okay it it just gives a little chime and it does like a little blue ring around the top. Oh, nice. So, it's very, you know, unobtrusive. Um I don't I don't know. I I kind of like it.
1: Yeah. I I don't know. See, that's that's kind of a funny part too is like I've grown to really love, uh, we'll call her Sarah's Sarah's. We we'll, yeah, we'll call her Sarah. Some of her like snarkier ones. Serious? <laughs> that's another good one. Uh but like I get some like snarky comments back from from using some of my AI stuff, and I've come to enjoy some of that. Sometimes I get annoyed with it, to be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It'd be curious. We we got to cover some more of these though, because we've jumped into three. Yeah. And there's twelve, and we're we're uh, we're pushing up on time. I mean, not not too bad, but we want to make sure we give ample time to some of these. So, personalized medicine. You were pretty excited about this one when you saw it in the show notes. Yes. I
1: don't know. I get really excited about anything to do with like fitness or health, and we've talked about so many stories over the past. How long have we been doing this? Two, three, two and a, half two and a half years. years. Yeah. And so between like the integration with stuff in your, in your like personal like Fitbit style devices and then how that's interplaying when you go to the actual doctor's office to like putting different sensors in your body. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I dig this too. I think you're absolutely right. And it's definitely trending in a way in which the sensors are all going to be integrated there will be a variety of different sensors in the body that will provide you with sort of a holistic approach uh, to understanding what kind of state your body's in um, and then using that data to inform what type of treatment or medication you could possibly need, depending on whatever condition you're in. That's
1: kind of the part I'm really excited about. And th- I'm, this, this will kind of go a little bit off the rails, but like in the mail the other day from my health insurance provider, I got a card it was basically a call your call a doctor card and do video conferencing oh now a couple of years ago that would not have been that that wouldn't have been something that was being done that often but right. this is like if if small things are wrong with you like you think you have the flu like call your doctor they'll talk you through the symptoms and they'll send they'll like send a prescription out now that's like a, a little bit different than what we're talking about here but it's it's that movement towards being able to get us get an idea of what's going on with your body and then get you the treatment you need and in this case with something like more personalized medicine or with some of these different tools we're talking about with sensors and whatnot being integrated into right. your own body you'd be able to you know have customized healthcare without having to necessarily always go into the doctor or they could even see something in your or be alerted to something in your like biometric data and like, hey, you need to come see me because something's not right. We are seeing a gnarly trend with, like, I don't know, your heart rate or something
0: like that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And, and once we have all these, you know, artificial intelligence systems, personal assistants, if you will. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> if you have these systems set up in place to where, you know, they are doing sort of the analysis. And if anything is out of the ordinary, then they send it to a doctor as kind of a supervisory role. And um, you get sort of these, uh, these anomalies in the system, if you will. Uh, which is the human system. And then the doctor kind of says, oh yeah, there's something up with that. And then they can contact you directly or something like that. That's I'm, I'm so excited about all those sensors and stuff. I, I echo sort of your excitement when it comes to this stuff. Cause it's super cool, man. Like I don't know how much it'll change my behaviors, uh, but I'm excited to at least try and see. Uh, yeah. I kind of excited to know a little bit more about my health on
1: a day to day basis and like see like yeah. understand a little bit more about like what's going on with blood markers throughout the day or just just right. odd stuff like that that I I really won't be able to know on my own. See, but
0: I feel like you are kind of an anomaly where you're like a data fiend about your personal health. Yeah. Um I am kind of someone who uh is very much in set and forget mode. Like I I approach uh, a certain dietary style and I go with it. Um, until it's disrupted and then I get back on it and then, um, you know, with, with Fitbit, I have a Fitbit. Let's not buzz market too much, but I have one fitness tracker and I check it every now and then. But I think the real value is when it will sort of interject and say, Hey, look, we're expecting this thing. Uh, and this thing is not happening or, uh, quite the opposite where, Hey, this thing is happening. You want to know about it. Um, so, I, I wish that technology, and I, I'm wearing it in hopes that potentially someday that will happen. Yeah, and I don't think it'll take that much for that to start happening, right? Because we're already seeing
1: the data right. being collected yeah. and it's able to predict a lot of other stuff. And yeah, I'm definitely the anomaly because I like to, I don't know, I like to do like self guinea pig type stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean my point with that is where is it going to go for the average Joe? Who Like what kind of interactions will it have for everyday people who just put these trackers on them? Uh, and what will that mean for them? I think it's
1: a, it's a lot about what you're talking about. Like, if it's something as simple as a watch or just a piece of clothing, right? Um, then it's just like set and forget mode. It's on if something really bad's happening. My doctor's going to get a hold of me, or right. they're going to call me and like let me know, like, hey, you need to start taking this medication, or you should try this diet, that kind of stuff. So I think it it very much will fit the mold of the set and forget thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 3D printing. 3D printing. Let's print
1: some prosthetics.
0: Yeah, this is cool. So I, we've talked about 3D printed prosthetics before on the show. The thing that's most exciting to me about 3D printing is the way it's going to change how we problem solve. So let's say you have something in your house that breaks. Uh, before, you know, it was you send it out for repairs um, and potentially they send back a fixed product or they send you the materials in order to fix it. Um, with 3D printing, that model's going to change, or I hope so. I I really am sort of an advocate for putting 3D printers in public libraries and bringing them back into relevance Um, because not a whole lot of people use public libraries. They're they're there for books, but not a lot of people know that there's other media there as well. There's other repositories. And if you use libraries as sort of this repository of 3D uh, printable content, I think there could be a lot of use there. Um, you go into the library, you pay a fee for the plastics that you use, but you have access to the library's, uh, library of, of 3d printable objects. And let's say you need a wrench and you're in, um, you know, a less affluent part of town and you maybe can't buy a wrench for, uh, like a heavy duty wrench. You can't get access to or whatever, but potentially going to the library and paying a couple cents to print out a plastic one for the job that you need. Then you just go back and recycle and then you get a credit back. Like I'm, I'm very much, um, an advocate for this way of thinking, right? Where if you need something, cause not everyone's going to have a 3d printer in their house. That just, that seems a little bit too outlandish to me and maybe, you know, someday when the price comes down, but it feels like such a, um, big piece of technology that, you know, maybe specialized people will have, you know, like, like uh crafters or, or uh, uh, people who work a lot with tools, the same people who would have power tools might have that in their house, but not everybody does. And so I think having a three, a place to go 3d print, or maybe even send something to a 3d printer, have it printed out, go and pick it up. That to me is exciting.
1: Yeah. And I think it'll, I like the community aspect of it that you're bringing together because there's actually a place here in San Diego, I can't remember the actual name of it, but it's a spot here, I think it's called Maker's Corner, where it's it's a warehouse that's actually full of 3D printers, where the idea is that people like inventors or whatever you may be come and use the space and like share their actual like 3, 3D printing mock-ups or schematics that they have, and it's just a way for people to meet and kind of develop ideas, right? Um, but in terms of 3d printing for everybody, I, I really don't know what I kind of see the future of it as. Cause I've thought of its utility really in much more of like the mass marketing type of stuff where, where we're talking about like 3d printing prosthetics or 3d printing, you know, some of the things you'll see in hospitals. Um, but even being able to, you, like you're saying, go to your public library. And I don't know if somebody's 3d printed something you need, whether it's like a, a toy for a kid or some yeah. kind of special mold for i don't know your like the same type of sink that you have or something like that. I could see the utility in that and I think a lot of people would get great benefit of some kind of technology be- like that being available to them in a public library. Plus it's like another opportunity to you know let kids learn in like after school programs and things like that.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I'm I'm super passionate about the 3D printing stuff even though I've never used it. I know people who have and I know that it's going to be Um, the, the problem right now with 3d printing is that it's not very accessible. And once we make it accessible, then it's going to change the world. I I truly believe that. I think, you know, there's a lot there that we can hope and dream for, but until it becomes accessible to others, that's, that's really when it's going to switch on. Let me tell you, Blake, we are what six, we've covered what six of these things?
1: Uh, Six. Yes.
0: All right. So we are running short on time. So what I'll tell you what, we're going to cover the rest of these in the after show. Okay. That sounds good. All right. (laughs) If you're not a Patreon subscriber, be a Patreon subscriber. You'll get the rest of these in the after show. Uh, There's a lot of other things on our Patreon. I will plug that later. But before we move on, I just want to thank all of our friends over at The Next Web and CNBC for our two stories this week. If you guys want to follow along, you can follow all of of our social media or join our Slack for links to the original articles. We post them as we find them. So let's go ahead and switch gears and get into, I don't know, my favorite part of the show. That came from... It came from... That's right. It came from Reddit. This is the part of the show where we search all over Reddit to bring you topics the community is talking about. Any subreddit's fair game, as long as it relates to human factors and encourages discussion amongst us, the community. All right, Blake. I think we got time for, what, two or three, maybe. So why don't we go ahead and take... Uh, which ones do you want to talk about?
1: Let's, let's tackle the ones from the Human Factor subreddit. I feel All like right. we don't always get a bunch of those.
0: I feel that way too. All right. So let's go ahead and tackle these two from the Human Factor subreddit. This first one is from Sleeping Luke Harleo, uh titled, I need some help. They go on to write, hi, everybody. I'm currently a college student and fell in love with Human Factors. Good for you. Uh, I am a senior. That sounded really uh, <laughs> condescending. Good no." Good for you. No, I'm I'm really happy. I'm glad you found Human Factors. Hopefully you're listening to Human Factors cast. <laughs> I am a senior right now, and I only have one semester left. I decided to get my undergrad in psychology, and my school also has a Human Factors certificate. So I'm currently working on that. The only problem, I'm struggling with finding any information on jobs. Uh, that's weird. I, I, I feel like that. Any? Okay. Yeah, any information. All right, so let's break this down. She, they, I shouldn't assume, they go on to say, I'm worried... I won't be able to find any good entry-level jobs. So what I would like to know from people who have more experience is what type of job do you have right now? What requirements does your career need? How did you find your job? Do you have any recommendations for finding jobs in Human Factors? Do you like your job? Are you, are you happy? <laughs> Thank you so much for reading this, and I hope you're all having a great day. Oh, well, that's nice. Okay. Now
1: I am. That's fantastic.
0: Okay, let's break down these questions, Blake. What kind of job do you have right now?
1: Okay, so I have two jobs. So I'm a human factors engineer at a human factors firm. So a company that basically contracts and does human factors consulting on projects on an as-needed basis. Same. And <laughs> and I also teach user experience in the evenings. Um, so that's that's my other job.
0: So you have two jobs. Um, I, I only have... Well, I have two jobs as well. I have that that you just mentioned. Uh, I am not a teacher though. I am a podcast host. Oh, uh, excuse I, me three <laughs> jobs then. thank you i I almost treat that as a full time job, but um we produce content for uh so what requirements does your career need? uh well, for us, I think in the job that we both would consider our day to day job um, that requires at least for us uh you know typically a master's level of education and human factors um. Or, you know, a, a doctorate in, in some sort of cognitive science um, for the scientist role of things. But if you just want to be a practitioner and, and do sort of the technical work, that's more of a master's level. Um, the the scientists, the PhDs, they tend to be more of like the uh, – what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Kind of like in a project management yeah, role where you're, you're overseeing not just like the project itself, but the lifelong ideas that you're going to kind of proliferate through a company
0: yeah so that's what uh i i don't know do you have anything additional to add to that
1: not really no i mean i think it just requires some some kind of education likely in human factors whether that's like at a bachelor's level because there are those that exist i didn't know about them when i was younger but they're definitely around but but in our line of work it's typically masters and phds that we work with
0: yep okay how did you find your job do you have any recommendations for finding jobs in human factors
1: Yes. Okay. So, how did I find <laughs> my job? Uh, I applied to it because I knew that somebody from my program—and that's the emphasis that I'm going to make here—I knew somebody from my program worked at the company I work at now. Um, I had only heard really great things about her work and her experience at the cur- at the company that I'm at, and so I applied there. Went through the kind of the wickets of the interview process, and that was that was kind of how I found the job. In terms of recommendations for finding jobs, I would really recommend either reaching out to people that have like received the certificate I think you mentioned that you got and if you've got specific teachers that are teaching courses for the certificate I would talk to them and see like do they have any network connections or anything uh, that might be able to help you get a job could you work in their research labs if that's an option so I I feel like just trying to get yourself more involved and talking to people that you're in classes with or that have like graduated in the same program or with the same certificate will really help you out
0: so you mentioned um, probably the the main point that I wanted to hit on is that it's all about the people that you know. Um, yes. Like as, as sucky as that is, uh, you know, it is about the connections that you make. And so there's a couple things that you can do to strategically place you in positions to know more people, right? Go to these conferences that we're plugging at the top of the show. Go to um, local events where you can meet friends and get involved, uh, with organizations that potentially could open doors for you. So there, there are methods to get acquainted with people in the field and potentially open those doors. Um, but
2: also,
1: also two real quick, if you're in still in college, like look for stuff at your college is related, whether it's in the same like vein or not, or if you really want to be tricky, start your own HFES chapter at your college.
0: Boom. Look at that. I will, I will say two other things though. if, If you do want to go the route of just applying blind, that's fine. That's worked for many people. Um, I will say, though, if you do that, there are a couple strategies that you can also employ for that as well, such as uh, looking up these uh, job descriptions of the places that you want to go and start building your skills to that skill set, right? If they're asking for someone who knows how to do a task analysis or they're looking for someone who knows how to do usability testing. Build your skills to that. Frame your resume to those skills um and sort of tell the story uh that you know how to do these things. And if you don't know how to do them, learn how to do them. That's 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 how I would handle the solo route.
1: Yeah, and I f- to add to the solo route, I think a I think a mistake a lot of people make, and I definitely made this when I was still an undergrad, when I was applying for jobs was not tailoring my cover letter, my resume, my portfolio piece that I was sending, like not really going through each one of them and tailoring it for that job description that you're throwing this, this resume at, like, don't just do it blindly, like really take some time and try and figure out like, okay, based off the skills that I have, one, do I need to go off and get more experience somewhere or another whether that's through school or trying to like figure out stuff with professors that I know? And two, like, what is this job really asking for? And how can I shape my resume to make me look like the best candidate?
0: I will echo that statement. Okay. Last question here. Do you like your job? Are you happy?
1: Are you really happy? Yeah, no, I enjoy my job. I mean, I get to do kind of all the things I've ever wanted to do or with regard to like human factors and, uh, UX design. So I do a lot of, a lot of design work st- right now, which includes both like being able to do like basic prototyping all the way to starting to get to deploy code. And I also still get to get stuck in some of the researchy stuff that I love. So like doing task analysis and putting workflows together, meeting with users and all of that. And then the reason the reason I even have my second job is I just, I like to teach. It's just something I always liked doing when I was in undergrad and in graduate school. And so, yeah, I'm kind of getting all the, all the best of all worlds that I've been looking for.
0: I will say the same. I really like what I do. Um, obviously, any job is not without, you know, sort of the the grindy kind of feel. And uh, for a more, I wouldn't say honest look, but um, a more uh, in-depth look, be be sure to check out our, our latest episode of Human Factors Cast Infinite. I mean, we we really deep dive kind of into this question. And, um, you know, we we get at it from our perspective. So, all right. uh, And then that's it. Okay, so I think we got time for one more. Yeah, let's take one more. Um, This next one is posted by ufin2047. This is also on the Human Factors subreddit. Uh, They write, how did you find your specialty? Uh, I'll be applying to human factors master's programs in the fall and I'm having difficulties figuring out exactly what kind of research I'd like to do as a master's student and what my career path should be. As a psych undergrad about to start my senior year, I have a year of experience working on as a research assistant and have worked as an REU NSF intern this summer. However, none of this experience is human factors related. I have a lot of EEG experience, which may be attractive to some labs, but I have doubts about this. Human Factors is such a broad discipline with so many applications. As I browse the HFES site looking for grad programs, I realize that I'm not quite sure about my area of focus. I plan on completing a master's and then going into industry. I have little to no interest in academia. HSI and UX capture my attention, but by and large, I'm still suspended in a state of indeterminacy. Oh, nice word. (laughs) My question to you is somewhat vague. How'd you find your niche In the field, any wise words for an undergrad undergrad like myself? Okay, Blake, how'd you find your specialty? What is it, and how'd you find it? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I think I know what they're looking for, but I did
1: not ever really find a specialty. And I what? didn't. Yeah, I, I've never had a specialty. Your specialty but, uh, is human factors. Yeah, I know that. That's what I'm not understanding. But I think I know what they're looking, what they're talking about, because they're trying to get into HF masters programs. The bigger, big thing is to like look at research that you want to do, or right. try and apply to programs for with professors that you want to work with and stuff like that. And that is a good way to go. Honestly, I've talked about this before on the on the podcast, and hopefully, you you get to hear this because maybe it'll put you a little bit at ease. Uh, I the only experience I had doing work in a lab in undergrad was working with rats, which, believe it or not, has no translation to what I do now (laughs) or the human factors like grad work that I did. You share an office with two rats. Yep. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) about it. I know how to take care of rats now. Uh but so that wasn't as big of a deal. Um the I didn't really know much about the research that was being done at my particular university when I went to grad school. The only thing that I had going for me is I was going through the track of aerospace engineer and this particular program was affiliated with NASA working with aerospace uh, technologies and stuff like that. So that's why I applied. It had some piece of interest that I was, that was like, okay, I can get, I could get into that. Um, And I will kind of put the caveat out there that, it, it was hard for me to get in grad school first round. I actually got denied to the school that I went to, and it wasn't until people dropped out because I didn't have as much relevant experience in, in like, a lab setting. So it's definitely going to be difficult, but it doesn't mean you won't be able to get in or figure out your, your like, niche, as you're calling it, as you go. Uh, I think it's more important just to get into a program.
0: Yeah. And I will say that I think experience is less important than passion um, when it comes to specialty. Because if you're passionate about something and you're able to write your statement of purpose or whatever document you have to kind of prove yourself to these graduate schools, I think coming across and being passionate about something could potentially outweigh any sort of prior experience, right? Because they know you're going to just get in the lab for the experience. They know you're doing those things, right? But- For me, my passion is VR. I've talked about it on the show an awful lot. And that's an interesting question because sort of the way I thought about VR was, you know, it can transport me to other worlds. And of course, this was before I actually tried VR uh, and understood the sort of uh, premature state it's in, still is in, um, even though we've made wild advances over the last couple of years, I still feel like it's still in its infancy. You know, and and the excitement of the novelty of the field uh, kind of drove me. And, you know, I'm very passionate about video games as well and thinking about the application to that. But then also kind of discovering more and more about the field of virtual reality and, and what kind of applications it has beyond video games really opened my eyes to, well, what can we do with this thing? And where are we, you know this thing is largely unstudied because of its novelty and where can we take this in new directions that will sort of open our eyes to these new experiences um and potentially treatments i mean we talked about like treatments using vr on the show before too so i guess just the novelty of a technology but then also how do you use that for human factors and improving processes procedures uh, experiences across the board um I can't really help you cause I don't know what your interests are, but explore what's interesting to you and then kind of put that human factors twist on it and see maybe there's, there's a way there. I don't know. One, one thing <laughs> to your
1: point that I
0: think is a really good idea. And this might be
1: twisting up what you're saying. I'm not sure. Maybe we'll see. Um, when it comes to writing that, whatever it's called, that letter, like statement letter of intent of statement of purpose, uh, being passionate is really important because yeah. I, I did the same thing o- honestly. And here's like a tip, like figure out who the, who the potential people are that are going to read this thing. Cause you might right. find out that there's some kind of interest they have that's in common with yours. Cause for me, I wrote about like, I love audio production and I wrote about redesigning the entirety of like the audio suite for Apple to be more user friendly, to be, mm. have a better usability or have <laughs> be more usable. Uh, and I didn't, I actually didn't know at the time that one of the main professors that had founded the program, he was like super into sound design and all of its applications across like human factors and, and just like psychology in general. So again, I mean, Nick kind of hit it on the head, like write about something you're passionate about. And I definitely encourage you to look into the professors you might be
0: working with. All right. Well, Blake, it's that time. Thank goodness. All right. That's going to be it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of the two stories this week. If you're a Patreon supporter, stay tuned for the after show. That'll be dropping just shortly after this. For the rest of you, you can join the discussion on our Slack or follow us all over social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter at HFactorsPodcast. Drop us a comment on our SoundCloud. Send us an email at humanfactorscast at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 901-646-1432. That's 901-646-1HFC. Be sure to like, subscribe, review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast directory is. Do you want to join the after show party, you can support us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash humanfactorscast. And, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. I want to thank my favorite co host for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about digital assistance? Oh, if
1: you want to talk about digital assistance, you guys can find me across social media at Don'tPanicUX. And I'm
0: always in the Human Factors Cast Slack Excellent. As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning into Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it it depends! Can I just say, I love being in studio with you. I know, it's so much better.